It's hard for me to know just where to start this morning. It's been quite a journey since last I've spoken to some of you, and uh, I'd like to talk about that somewhat this morning. Um, As I look around and see all your faces, I, uh, I wonder, uh, my mind goes way back, way back. I think the only people in this room that go back as far as I do in relationship to this fellowship would be Dave and Charlou. just remembering the meetings that we had in January 2002, I believe, at the community college. Maybe 8 of May, I don't know if you were there or not. Maybe. It's a long time ago. I go back a long ways with some of you people, but most of you don't know who I am. And Quite a few of you weren't even born then. (laughs) So I don't know if that gives me any credibility or not. I don't care. But uh, I just, I have a lot. I've seen a lot. I've been through a lot. And so I'd hope to share some things that perhaps will, God can use to affect your lives, especially you young people. I have a great burden for you young people. And as I consider the history that I've seen, and I look out on those of you who are here, And I think of all the ones that are not here. My heart breaks. And I just wonder how many of you young people are going to make it. Because You need to have a reality, a real reality with God and with the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can't look to anybody but him because if your security And if your hope and if your aspirations are dependent upon anyone else, you're going to have a lot of trouble. 
And when I say that to you young people, I mean, I, you need to understand that uh, not even your mom and dad, not even the elders in the church or the people that you look to, up to as godly men can see you through. I've known a lot of godly men, and they all have their weaknesses. They all have their flat spots, their blind spots, and I've seen them all fail, and I include myself, maybe not in the category of a godly man, but as in the category of a man that has failed and failed often and grievously. So I would just encourage you We sang that song. I, that's a powerful song that we just sang. And while I was thinking, while I was listening to everybody sing that song, I was reminded of what Ravenhill said, Leonard Ravenhill said one time. He says, We lie the most when we sing. It's not funny. You think about the words you just sang, some of the songs that you sing, and you wonder, I wonder, is that real in my life? Is that real? Is that really what I can, can I really make that claim? I want to launch this morning, start, begin, whatever. I've been known to launch a few times. <clears throat> I want to talk just somewhat about some of the transformations that the Lord has been working in my life and in my heart and in our marriage and our, my relationship with my wife and then my relationship with my children and in my relationship with the Word of God and the person of God. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, and Ryan read this or quoted it to us this morning. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given unto me that every, man, <clears throat> that every man that is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. 
there's, you know, many sermons I could preach out of this, but I'm just going to offer this up as a part of my testimony and as one of the, one of the th works that God has been working in my life is this thought of transformation. And I look back at my life. I'm 70 years old now. And I look back and I start to examine my life and look at the times and the ways that God has transformed my life. And it's it it uh, it causes me to wonder <clears throat> and <clears throat> That reminds me, and I think I'm going to pause right here and pray. And Holy Father, eternal God, creator of all that is, you are the one that we bow before. You are the one that is worthy and you are my hope, my joy, my peace, my security, my purpose, and my meaning. You are, O oh God, and you have shown yourself to be faithfully throughout all my life. My Savior. I just thank you, Lord, again for your mercies to me, your grace, your love and patience and goodness. And as we come together this morning, Lord, and you give me opportunity to speak to these people, these people that you died for, these people that you love, these people that carried your name, that profess your name, O oh God, I pray that you would somehow in your way, your marvelous ways, that you would speak to each one of them. If it's just one word to one heart here this morning. Please be merciful unto us. Manifest your presence here among us, Lord. And do your life-changing, transforming work today. Please, Lord, for your name's sake, for the advancement of your kingdom and for your glory. Let it be so in Jesus' name.
holy name. When all thy mercies, O my God, my rising soul surveys, transported by the view I'm lost in wonder, love, and praise. And I remember in those meetings so long ago, Dave led us in a song that I had never heard before. And I, it just really blessed me. I wonder, often wonder, just how it came to be. It's not in this, the Purple Martin. I don't know if you call it that, but that's what we call it. Just how it came to be that there is up in heaven a mansion fair for me. And then do I remember the dear, the dear Son of God. You might have to help me with the words, Dave. What's next? That the dear Son of God. Something about for rebel sinners. Anyway, the chorus goes, huh? What's well, not in the book? <laughs> Forever at his seat, at his feet I'll sit and wonder at the grace. What is it? So large and free it found for me in heaven, a dwelling place. And I just wonder, I wonder. That there's a place for me. It reminds me of the verse. I think about these verses, and I'll just go through them and share them with you. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. You know, you have to think about these things. Some of you know me enough to know I love a good quote. And one of my favorites is, people would rather die than think. In fact, most do. Now, the man that said that was an atheist. And that reminds me of another verse. I've, I've got a lot of quotes from atheists, and it reminds me of what Jesus said when he said, the children of this world are wiser than the children of light. That's so often true. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. That's the truth. And to come to God, you must believe that he is. And that he is the rewarder 
of them that diligently seek him. Now, I would encourage you to spend some time thinking about that verse, those verses, and defining some of those words. Go through them word by word and define them. And if you need help, there are dictionaries that will help you. But you have your own definition of what those words mean. I do. And it's one of the, the word that I focus on in, in that short passage is when he says he's the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And what, do, what, what is the reward that I'm seeking when I'm diligently seeking God? What, what is my expectation of the reward? What, what reward am I seeking for? And as best as I know myself and, uh, and where the Lord has moved me to where I am today, the reward that is offered to me in the promise of this verse and is God is the reward. That relationship and that communion and that knowledge, that Blessedness in having that relationship that is a result of diligently seeking him. And what does that look like to me to be diligently? Am I as diligent in my seeking after God as I am after seeking after my own desires and appetites and Whatever, put whatever in there. Am I diligent in that? One of the, there have been a number of things that have been said to me that have, have, really helped, that God has used to help transform my thinking. See what you have to look forward to, young people? Senior moments. When you're in the middle of expressing a thought and it just goes away. Pardon me, please forgive me.
one of the wonderful things about getting old is you don't have to be afraid of being honest anymore. About what people think of you. You can just be honest. When you get tired, you can say, I'm going to bed. Even if you have a house full of company, you can just be honest. I'm going to bed. You know how to stay as long as you want, but I'm going to bed. And everybody understands. Well, I'll go on to the next one. I was going to tell you something that Mark Farber said to me that really helped me. And it'll come to me, maybe tonight in the middle of the night when I'm asleep. Has that ever happened to you? You're trying to remember something and you grind away at it all day long and can't remember some, something, somebody's name or something. It happens to me all the time, doesn't it? All of a sudden, it just pops up. Anyway, one of the things that someone said to me that really helped me and has really had a great influence on my life. I'm very blessed to have some children that think and that are deep thinkers and that I can have really meaningful conversations with. <clears throat> And one of them, one of the things that one of them said to me one time when we were having a, a discussion, a philosophical, spiritual discussion was, he said, you know, Dad, all truth is God's truth. And that's, that's, that, that was something for me. All truth is God's truth. That opened up for me a whole new panorama of places to look for truth. And It's led me to some really interesting places. Because I can find truth in a lot of places from a lot of different sources. Places that I would have been afraid to look before and places that some people had cautioned me and cautioned other Believers, not to look. Don't go there. You know. To read some books by authors that were not necessarily approved in the circles that I was moving in. And to read some things by some people who were not and would not even profess to be believers 
and some of whom are anti-Christian for sure. But there are places where I've heard the truth. And it's interesting to me. This is what happens when you hear truth. And certainly, I don't mean to diminish in any way the truth that's contained in God's word. And I, I will... Uh, try to illustrate this for you. I'm listening now to a book by a historian. I believe he's a secular historian. And it's the, book, the title of the book is Dominion. And it's about how I guess the simplest way that I could could uh, sum it up is to say that it's it's about how Christianity turned the world upside down. And he goes to great length to give a as accurate a description as I think you can he can do, because I think he's a very good and intelligent and, and uh, historian, but uh, to illustrate just how the world was, the ancient world was really at the time of Christ, before the time of Christ and at the time of Christ. And the way societies functioned and the way people thought and the things that they believed and the attitudes of their hearts towards other people and just how profoundly the world has changed through the influence of the message of Christ. One of the things that he talks about was some of the ancient philosophers, Socrates and Aristotle and Plato, and, and so in their pursuit, in their philosophy, these men were diligent in their pursuit of truth. And some of the things that they said, some of the conclusions that they arrived at are simply amazing in the light that they had no revelation directly from the Lord. These men, on observing the heavens and the way that the heavens worked and the order and the beauty came to the conclusion that somewhere there was a reality beyond all of creation and they called it uh, the unmoved mover. 
Now, these were men that lived in a pagan society where every unexplained natural phenomenon was, was ascribed to the personage of some god. And in my mind, I, it changed the way I thought about something that we read in scriptures. You know, when Paul went to Athens, and he went up on Mars Hill, and he began to speak to those people, and he said, I see that you are very superstitious, I think is the word that's used in the uh, King James. And they were. They had altars to gods all over the place. And he said, as I was walking through your city, I saw this altar, and it said, to the unknown God. Now, I don't know what you think about when you read that, and maybe you just... Th and maybe you think like I used to think, that they put this altar up there just in case they might have missed somebody. You know, they just wanted to cover all their bases with all these gods. They didn't want to offend any one of them because that would, you know, cause trouble. And they wanted, you know, they were very superstitious and very observant of all the festivals and the feasts and all the things that they had to do, all the sacrifices that they had to make to all these different gods, and they would, could pick and choose which one was their favorite and which one they thought they believed that they were the favorite of, and you know, then they would just, that's how they lived their life. But just in case, here was this altar to the unknown god. But then I began to think, you know, there's something deeper than that there. Because these philosophers had great influence over these, these peoples and over their society and over their culture. And there was this sense that beyond all these gods and beyond all of the creation and all the universe and all the stars, beyond all that... There was this God that we can't know, that we don't know, and there's this, there's this being, there's this consciousness that brought all of this into being and put it all in order, and that's beyond our comprehension. And as best we know how, we ought to pay some attention to, the, to that, that. And they didn't get as far as to believe that it was he was a being that was a personal being and that you could have a personal relationship with, but they had the sense that he was, that he was there. And as I go through some of these things that I've been exposed to, every time I hear something, someone from somewhere in the past or in the present makes some claim that 
is true, the Holy Spirit brings me, brings to my mind a scripture that corresponds to that. Something in the Word of God that that's, corresponds to that claim that somebody somewhere out there somehow at some time has come to this realization and, and, and claims this is true. And if it's true, I believe that you can always find in the Word of God something that will correspond and confirm to that truth, if it's true. Now, there are some things that are some corollaries to that. The first one is, you must be born again. You must be born again and indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. If you're not born again, you're not indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, and you can go out and you will hear claims of, about something and that it's true, and if without the Holy Spirit of God to testify and lead you and guide you into the truth, you can accept claims that are not true. You can believe them. The other thing is that the other corollary is you must know the Word of God. You must incorporate the Word of God into your heart and mind and thinking so that when you hear a claim that claims to be true, you can, the Holy Spirit that dwells within you, if you're born again, will guide you into all truth, and there will be the witness from the Word of God that that claim is either true or false. So part of being diligent in seeking God, first, foundationally, foremost, without question, the basic foundational thing that must be true in your life and mine is you must be born again. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. If you're not born again, you're dead in your trespasses and sins. You're blind, you're living in the kingdom of darkness, and there is no hope and no help that will protect you and deliver you from the lie. And make no mistake, we are immersed in lies.
you cannot even perceive that there is a kingdom of God. Now, you can grow up in the church, and you can listen to the preachers, and you can read the Bible, and you can speak the language, and you can put on the clothes, and you can do all the right things, but unless you're born again by the Spirit of God, you cannot even see the kingdom of you can't perceive you can't you're not even aware and what does the kingdom of god mean simple break it down the kingdom of god is where the king has dominion that's the two words king dominion kingdom where the king has dominion, the king makes the laws. He makes the rules. He enforces the rules. He's also responsible for the health and welfare, the protection, provision of his subjects. Unless a man is born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So. Jesus teaches us that it's not just enough to be aware that there is a kingdom, but you must enter into it. That is a conscious choice that you make. That's the choice that's available to every one of us. Except you enter in, you cannot claim any of the provisions, any of the privileges, any of the protections. You cannot even hope to be under any of the directions and commandments and laws of the kingdom. There's no hope unless you enter the kingdom of God. And you can't enter if you don't even know it's there. You must be born again from above, by the Spirit. I've been also reading a book, and this is interesting to me at least, so I'll share it with you, by a man named Donald Hoffman. Donald Hoffman is a professor of cognitive science at the University of California. Anybody know what cognitive science is? Well, it's, it's the study of how youth and I, how a person thinks, how we think, consciousness. You know, there are some great questions that science cannot answer. What is consciousness? What is thinking? Anyway. <clears throat> the title of this book is Okay. You'll have to forgive me. I uh, had a shock this morning. I opened up my Bible to get my notes and they weren't there.
bring me my phone. This is important. You see, it's okay, I'm old. I have an excuse. Don't try this, young people. Nobody will excuse you. Okay, the title of his book is The Case Against Reality. The subtitle is How Evolution Hid the Truth from Our Eyes. Very interesting. I don't know how many of you people have any, any interest in science and, and some of the physics and the mathematics and things like that, but it's very interesting. You can learn a lot about God by paying attention to some of the things that are going on in these fields. It's amazing to me. Some of the most acclaimed minds as being brilliant in the world and, uh, and some of the things they say. And uh, again, it brings me back to the scriptures where it says, thinking themselves to be wise, they became fools. If you ever want to, uh, to uh, just see how true that is, you can read some of the scientific literature and, and listen to some of these people talk. <clears throat> but uh, it's, it's very interesting. Anyway, this man, Donald uh, Hoffman, his claim and his, he's, has done much research and work to support his claim is that the things that we see because he talks about, you know, how how the truth is hid from our eyes, and the things that we perceive with our eyes aren't real. And he has, it's it, it's uh, it's very persuasive. And, in a, in a, and, and at some level, he's at, I think at some, a very deep level, he's right. Because if you know your Bible, you know, you know that God says, we, we see the things that are invisible. God has opened our eyes to the place where we can see that which is invisible and that which is eternal. And there is a realm beyond that which is visible and that which we perceive to be real. And there's, there are many, many instances in, in, uh, that I could tell you about that are so interesting. 
when you start talking about there's different, different uh, schools of thought in physics. And there's, you know, the Einsteinian physics school of thought where, you know, space and time and everything, everything that exists, exists within that framework. Well, there's also another uh, school of thought or, or part of physics called quantum physics where things aren't really what they seem to be, the way we perceive them to be. And it's fascinating. There's, and this is interesting, this is something that you can look up and, and there's a short, uh, very instructional video on, on the internet that you can watch. It's called the, the Two-Slit Experiment. Have any of you ever heard of the Two-Slit Experiment? This is a, an experiment that turned physics on its head. And what it is, is there's, it's very simple, <clears throat> and uh, maybe I can illustrate it for you. This is, it's kind of fun for me, but, and I know I'm running out of time. But in this experiment, and you can, you can do this to some degree at home, there's, there's like this uh, barrier here, and they put two slits in it, like this. And they set it up, and you, this, this is very, I mean, you can, you can understand this. If you, if you had a barrier like that, and let's say you had a BB gun, and you were shooting BBs through those sl slots, right? Well, let's, that's, is there an eraser here somewhere? Is this it? Okay, that's, that's, that's like a frontal view. Of this experiment, this is fascinating to me. I hope it is to you, but. So let's, let's, let's look at it from above. So here's, here's the barrier with two slits in it. And you're over, well, let's put them closer together. And you're over here. And I know you guys are marksmen because you go hunting all the time. And you're shooting your BB gun and your BBs go through this, these two holes. And what would you expect to show up over here? If you could, if you, this was a target, a, like a paper target, what would you expect to find over here? Where those BBs would, would hit the target? Bullet holes. Huh? Bullet holes. Yeah, the bullet. Where would they be? Well. They would be in a line like right here, wouldn't you think? Yes? If you were shooting through a very narrow opening, all of your shots would be within a very narrow range. They'd be in two lines, correct? Does that make sense? Makes sense to me, anyway. Okay. Now, here's what happened. Now, if this was a tank of water and you were making waves and they went through these two little slits, they would come through like this. And you'd have 
places where these lines intersected. And over here on this, on this screen or whatever, you would find that wherever there was an intersection, you'd get a concentration of where the waves would hit and you would have different points where the, you would have lines where these intersections are, concentrations of these waves striking this barrier. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, this is the fun part. These physicists, they set this up and they shot these subatomic particles through these holes. And what do you think they got? Well, in one case, they just got the line where the, that corresponded to the gaps in the barrier. But then, this, this is the interesting part. When they put some kind of a mechanism up here that would observe those particles when they went through these holes, they got on the screen, they got multiple lines like the waves. So when the particles were not observed, all they got was the single line. When they were observed, they got multiple lines. How can that be? And that's one of the big questions. Is something only there when you're looking at it? Is it there when you're not? You know, that's a problem. Do you only perceive it when you're observing it and paying attention? Is it only there when you're looking at it? Is it there when you're not? How do you know? You don't know. Albert Einstein said, he didn't believe it. He said, that's spooky. Well, see, questions like this take science from science into the metaphysics, into the supernatural, into the unknown. And it's interesting. This is, this is the interesting part. When they get to the point and where their science and their research and their observations take them to a point that they can't get beyond, then they do one of two things. Like this man, Donald Hoffman, he says, if what we see and what we can touch and what we feel and what we observe isn't real, what is? And he's more honest than most of them. He says, I don't know. Most of them make something up. And because they're scientists, people take them seriously. We can see things that other people can't see. 
if we're born again. We can know the truth that sets us free if we're born again. And my pursuit and the transformational work that God's been doing in my life is because I want to be free. I want to know what it is to be free. You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. I want to be free of my own persona that I, the person that I think I am and that I want to portray to everybody else and other people to think, I want them to think I am. I want to be free from that. I want to be honest. I want to be truthful. And if you want a really difficult exercise to incorporate into your life, and you'll find it to be difficult. Tell the truth. Speak the truth. That's what Jesus did. And they crucified him. Speak the truth, and they'll crucify you. There's an interesting person that I've become acquainted with, and maybe some of you have heard the name Jordan Peterson. You've heard Jordan Peterson? <clears throat> Jordan Peterson is a psychologist, a professor, or he was a professor at the University of Toronto in Canada. And he's a man that it's been interesting to watch his life change over the last five years as I've been read a, one of his books and I've listened to some of his lectures and I've listened to some of his podcasts and things like that and it's amazing to me the transformation that's been taking place in his life he was I, he would have at you know five years ago would have professed to be an atheist <clears throat> but been interesting, and especially the profound effect that the Bible has had on this man, and the profound effect that he has, the things that have happened to him when he purposed to tell the truth and speak out and tell the truth. And he's very articulate and a very thoughtful man, with a and uh, a very uh, patient man, I would say, and humble man. And uh, I would encourage you, you know, if you're born again by the Spirit of God, read his book. You'll find a lot of correlation between what he says and what the Bible says. But as he has become somewhat famous for writing books and speaking out, he's uh, been, it's been interesting to watch how the world has come against him and has really tried to destroy him. Uh, and I think probably there's been no single person in the last five years who's brought more people into the church, into the Christian church, than Jordan B. Peterson 
and he's not even an evangelist. He's just speaking the truth. Especially young men. Especially young men. Isn't it interesting how God can use someone Many people. A couple more quotes by people that, uh, by men who might be somewhat uh, out of the, off the reservation, so to speak. One, one uh, author that I really appreciate is a man named G.K. Chesterton. Have you ever heard of G.K. Chesterton? Very interesting. One of the things that he said in his book on orthodoxy, he said, there is an infinite number of angles at which you can fall and only one at which you can stand. That's true. There are an infinite number of angles at which you can fall and only one at which you can stand. Now, G.K. Chesterton was a Roman Catholic. So we can't read his books, right? Maybe not. Not if you're not born again. Probably shouldn't. You might end up a Roman Catholic. Another one, C.S. Lewis. Brilliant man, brilliant man, very, uh, he wrote a number of books, and I'll just mention one of them. He wrote a book, the title of which is Till We Have Faces. It is a retelling of the myth of the story of Psyche, who in ancient Greek mythology was a a daughter of a Macedonian king who became a goddess. It's a very interesting book. But one of the things he said at the very end He said, you cannot see God face to face until you have a face. We can't see God face to face until we have faces. And what that means is, until we're honest about who we are, I mean honest, honest, not the person you're pretending to be, not the person everybody thinks you are, but the person that you really are, until you have a face. You cannot see God. God cannot meet you face to face. Think about that. I guess that would be the 
exhortation in my message today is just encourage you to think about some things. When you read the scriptures, you read them carefully and you think about the words and what they mean, what they really mean. So much I could say. One of the things that has changed my life and our life as a married couple, Lisa and I almost always have a time of prayer together in the morning where we pray together and we always end it with the Lord's Prayer. And it's been a powerful force to bring transformation into my life and in our, our life, I believe, and in our marriage. But this is one of those passages of Scripture that's so familiar that we go through it, we say it, we can recite it from memory, we read through it in the Bible and not think hardly anything about it. Our Father. That's a claim that Jesus encourages us to make. Our Father. Which are in heaven. That's the address. Our, the one who's beyond comprehension. The one whose name can't be named. You know, the, the Jews would not say the name of God. Too holy. Anything that you can name, you can define. Anything that you can name, you put a limit on. Anything that you can name, it's that and not something else. That's why God, when he... Moses asked him his name. He said, I am. Well, that's not a name. That's an expression of truth. That's God saying, I'm the reality that can't be described. I'm the reality that can't be limited. I'm the reality that can't be defined. I'm more than what you can know and ever know. I just am. That's the one we pray to. Hallowed be thy name. Holy is thy name. What does that mean? What does that mean to you? Is God's name holy? You know, God is not his name. God is the, one of those words that's the best that human language can use to describe the indescribable. But God is not his name. We do have a name for God now, don't we? His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus.
holy. What does that mean? Set apart, altogether unique, holy, holy, holy is the name of Jesus. Hallowed is thy name. That's what I mean. That's what I'm trying to tell you. When you read the Word of God, when you hear the Word of God, when you think about it, what do those words mean? What am I saying? And how do they apply to my life? And how do they apply to how I live my life? What is the practical application that the name of God is holy? Think about it. It'll change your life. If your life hasn't changed, if your life isn't constantly being transformed and renewed, there's something wrong. And it might be something fundamentally wrong. There's a lot more I could say. It's been years since I've had an opportunity to speak. I'm full and overflowing. I don't know how long you've got. I don't know how many days you've got. I can go on and on and on, and I don't even have my notes. I don't want to end on a lighthearted note, but I want, I encourage you. It's been so wonderful for me. Things, the things that God has used to transform my life. Wonderful, not pleasant. Not easy. A lot of them painful. A lot of them life-threatening because I'm a stubborn man. I don't move very easy. It takes a lot of pressure to break me and move me. And I suspect I'm no different than a lot of you. Transformation is out of my comfort zone. It's a little bit frightening, if not terrifying, to go places I've never been before, been willing to go. Another portion of scripture that I love and has been very helpful to me is, is the uh, account of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Do you know that story? Everybody here knows, all you children, you know that story, don't you?
Here's what I get out of that story. If you want to walk with Jesus, you have to be willing to go into the fire. Lord, thank you that you are the one who can save even through the fire. Thank you that you are the one who knows us better than we know ourselves and that you know what it will take to move us and transform us and that when we are unwilling that you are the faithful one to continue the work that you've begun in us. And I pray, Lord, for every one of us that profess and claim the name of Jesus, that you would take us at our word and do your perfect work, whatever it takes, in every one of our lives, that we would enter in to the blessedness that you promise us and that you would be our all in all. For your name's sake, for your glory, for thou art worthy. Pray in Jesus' name.